audience in our worship service. Remind me of the fact that we have probably 20 minutes of music and 20 minutes of the Word, and the other 20 minutes deals with Scripture and commentation on Scripture. So we, we bring a sense of balance and, and tradition, Scripture, tradition, reason, and experience but a very traditional sense. And we appreciate your comments and if there's any way that we can improve on services by way of television or radio or Facebook or so, we appreciate your comments. Our opening hymn this morning is O Worship the King, O Worship the King, Purple Hymnals, number 73, 1, 2, and 5. song is Freely, Freely Purple, number 389. I spoke to Joy this morning, Ella's daughter. It's her 43rd birthday, and she's um, running the technical equipment up at a large church in, in Duluth, and when she's not on call at St. Luke's, she's uh, taking care of the sound system and, and the nursery and other things. So Joy brings greetings, Dr. Joy from
thank you for the technical assistance that she supports in our church. We thank you, Father, for the many birthdays and anniversaries that we're sharing by way of our worship service. We pray for Jean Winthrop as she recuperates from knee surgery as a card may be circulated this morning and we get long card and we pray for Jeannie. And we, we also especially pray for her mother, Janet, who's on, in hospice now and, and here. Various medical issues, Lord, we just pray for Janet. She's been such a firm worshiper here for many, many years. And she's experiencing the effects of nearly 93 years of life. Pray, Father, that you would grant her your peace and your presence as she's in St. Teresa's Dementia Recovery Center. We, we thank you for the many needs of our congregation. We continue to pray for our daughter Hope, Hope Charity, and she's going through her third round of bone marrow transplant. We pray that you continue to hand your hand up the hand, who's a Brooklyn Park policeman, and we thank you, Father, for the tremendous care of our law enforcement and our military. We, we thank you, Lord, for Dr. Lane Thompson and his family for his being present with us today. We pray that you continue to bless him and his family. We thank you, Father, that we may be small in numbers, but we're, we're high in quality. We, we pray that those who are by way of television and radio, that if they have particular needs, that they would just reach out to God this morning and God has freely provided for us through the salvation of that body that was broken, that blood that was shed. He freely touches souls that are in need of prayer, it's financial, or physical, or psychological, or emotional healing. We just pray, Father, that you continue to minister to those in need. We pray for those who are anticipating travels of Gary and Kathy, and we pray for Chris Larson as he's away from us month in the south and pray as he brings greetings by, by way of telephone and we, we pray Father for our Sunday school class on Ira and Julie and those who participate in the Sunday school class. We thank you for our, our music, we thank you for Clarice and Mike and we just pray that you continue to bless them and say ministry of music. We thank you Jesus for your love for us each and every one of us that you went to the cross, and this is a time of the year when we realize we are to look to the cross for, for our needs, that, that body that was broken, that blood that was shed, the forgiveness of our sins. We have eternal life, according to Isaiah 53, by the stripes of Christ, we are healed. We pray this morning for those needs and those other particular needs as we look to you in Scripture, Luke chapter 6, deals with the Beatitudes. It's a shorter version of the Beatitudes, according to Matthew, but it's probably the earliest rendition of Dr. Luke's book of Beatitudes and how we as Christians are to develop our attitudes and our attitudes kind of determine our altitudes and our aptitudes in life. We want to really fly high and courageously with Jesus. And we pray this morning in agreement as he taught us to pray saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, 
lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you're viewing or listening our scripture reading, it's taken from our Luke's gospel. Luke has a similar condition of, of Luke's gospel. It's a little later, commentator on the works of Jesus. But if you turn to Dr. Luke's gospel, Luke, the sixth chapter, Luke chapter 6, verses 17 and 20 through 26, please. Here we find in God's word, beginning with geographical setting, Luke chapter 6, we find Jesus dealing with the multitudes here. Luke chapter 6, verse 17. This word, when, whenever you see the word of God, the Bible, you need to take particular attention to this word. This word about him spread throughout Judah and all the surrounding country. What was that word? Verse, verses 20 through 26 gives us a shorter version. Matthew's Gospel of the Beatitudes, Luke chapter 6, verse 17, dealt with the fact that he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples, the great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Aragon and Sidon. And in verses 20 and 26, then he looked up at his disciples and he says, Bless. Another rendering of blessedness is happy. We all want to be happy, we want to be blessed. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, they revile you and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and weep for joy. For surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for this is what their ancestors did false, the false prophets. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning. Good morning. Our scripture today is often revealed as the Sermon on the Plain. It's right after Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. The disciples had come down from the mountain with Jesus and remained with him throughout the sermon. The disciples had seen Jesus doing God's work. Of course, they were with him. Now they were to join him accomplishing God's will. And their mission was not just listening, now it was going to turn Jesus into evangelism. Judea is mentioned initially right along with Jerusalem. Judea was the location of the temple and mostly Orthodox uh, people that opposed Jesus. After Judea, the seacoast cities of Tyre and Sidon are mentioned. These are Gentile cities and they're mentioned to show the diversity his audience. They were not just there to hear him preach, but they were also there with him to be miraculously healed. When they had heard about his healing abilities, and they of course wanted him for that. Jesus had cured diseases and exercised unclean demons from the ancient crowds. 
touch them or leave their very issues. Just a touch, a mere touch from Jesus would solve the problem or heal the wound. This shows that we should never be so focused on only one particular mission from God because others can get blessed from God through us by doing other things that God wants us to do. The Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain is not, their name is not the only difference between the books of Matthew and Luke. Matthew spoke in the third person, and Luke, interestingly enough, writes in the second person. Luke's Sermon on the Plain is focused on how the followers of Christ should live. It exemplifies the Jewish method of preaching called Shiraz. This means stringing beads. Teaching with the message of Shiraz, the preacher doesn't remain on only one topic. He goes to other topics to increase the, the interest of the audience. The Greek word for blessed used here is martyrius. This word describes serene and untouchable. This kind of joy is completely independent of our life and circumstances. This word means joy, the truest godly sense, in our definition of the word. It was also used to apply to God himself in Timothy chapter 1, verse 11. It says, blessed are the hungry. Why would Jesus make hungry people? Ah, he's drawing a comparison. From our earthly, mortal hunger, where we need food, to spiritual hunger, that need to fill that spiritual hole in our hearts. Hungry drives people to search for food, to satisfy their hunger. Likewise, spiritually hungry people seek stuff that fills themselves spiritually, and they won't stop until it's satisfied. Here, Jesus is referring to more than just our physical type hunger. Blessed are those who weep. It refers to those weeping because they realize how their sin has separated them from Father God. This hour turns to joy when they're with the realization that the Lord has disposed of all that sin and bad behavior that separates from God forever. Woe to those who are spoken well. That's the opposite of how the world thinks. That's why he said that. If you have been thought of well or gained worldly support, you should probably check that. If you're pleasing men, are you still pleasing God? That's a question everyone should ask. Heaven is the opposite of hell. And so are the mannerisms that holy people use to stand out. Holy means separate. That's what we should concentrate on. Gathering the praise of man and stuff, you should really like to say, check yourself. If you're, are you doing it for man? Or are you doing it for God? That's the main question. Not only excited by the people, but also excited that God as a holy or peculiar people. Holy means separate. That's what we should strive for. We should be a part of this, not a part of the world, be a part of God's big plan and his kingdom. Sir, many of you have asked. I'm doing. I'm, I'm out of the cast. Out of the cast. I'm supposed to wear a splint, but I'm figuring I can accelerate the, the area of healing if I can get <coughs> oxygen.
bypass surgery, it is pretty critical. I thank you for your continual prayers, and I don't bump into things with it, and it set me behind in the healing here. You know, some of some of you have been more familiar with the Beatitudes in the, the Gospel of Matthew, and you might get it real when you down against the distinction of the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain, but it was similar message, and, and Jesus gave many messages at many, many different audiences. When we think of our some of our protégés, like Dr. Billy Graham gave similar messages to, to different audiences and different places, and always emphasized, you know, Jesus Christ. So we see a different, but a similar message of Matthew and those in Luke, in which we have read, and somehow Matthew's list in the Sermon on the Mount with eight Beatitudes received more popular, more popular exposure and commentation than Luke's list of four. Um, I was talking to one of my therapists this past, they were stretching, moving, I'm trying to get the flexibility back into my left hand, and, and I asked her if she was a Christian, she said she was, where she went to church and she told me where she went to church and where she grew up. And I began to realize that she was a very much of a student of the scriptures because she knew that the difference between Luke's account of the Beatitudes and Matthew's. And you don't always find that to be the case. Most Bible experts agree that Luke's is the, the more primitive, the earlier version of, of Jesus' ministry. And some went different in emphasis than, than Matthew's. Luke's, blessed are you, are the poor, refers directly to the material, the material impoverished. And the blessed are if you are hungry, um, refers directly to those who don't have enough to eat. And Matthew, on the other hand, in blessing the poor in spirit, and those who hunger, hunger for what is right, has spiritualized Luke's, Luke's version. You oftentimes find that probably the earliest gospel is Mark and then it's Luke and then John and Matthew. But Matthew, on the other hand, in blessing the foreign spirit and those who hunger for what is right, was spiritualized, Luke's version. Yet the lessons, the lessons of both versions are in basic, basic harmony. We think of the two versions of Matthew and Luke as, as separate strings on the same violin, together producing a, a melodious, melodious harmony. Well, the Beatitudes I always mention to, to um, my congregations and those who listen that your attitude in life determines your aptitude in life, which determines the altitude in life that you acquire. And then the Beatitudes should sharpen, sharpen our insight into the person, the very person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus knew that the dynamics of poverty and, and hunger because of his direct, his direct association with the poor. In the little town of his youth and in his journeys later on, Jesus learned firsthand. If you've ever traveled and listened to missionaries, People are really grateful for one meal a day. When we oftentimes have two to three meals a day, 
Jesus knew firsthand how difficult it could be to irk, really irk out a, a, a paralytic, because he was always closely related to the poor, the oppressed, and the disadvantaged. And it invoked feelings of great pity and, and compassion upon Jesus. Jesus was very compassionate, compassionate and loving people, and he expects you and I as followers of Jesus often reminded of the, the, the new movie that's coming out, Jesus Revolution. I encourage you to attend that movie. You can kind of have a better basic understanding of my works because I, I came out of the Jesus movement and, and I was one of the first Jesus people to, to go on to seminary and the ministry of the United Methodist Church. And the impact that the Jesus movement had upon me was, was tremendous, more so than any Bible school or seminary. Jesus movement, and you can witness this uh, being portrayed on many screens in the movie Jesus Revolution. I encourage you to go out and see that movie Jesus Revolution. But Jesus had compassion, and he had a sense of love and action, as we know. But but more than that, Jesus looked at those who were on the bottom, on the bottom rung of the economic ladder. And compared them with those who were better off materially. This is last week I received my hometown paper for some 60 years. During those 60 years, they've always had what, what occurred like 25 years ago or 50 years ago. And, and now I'm at that point where I am part of that 50 or 60 years that when they harken back, there's a, a special section of harkening back in remembrance in the area and sometimes um, they have the athletic accomplishments or the academic accomplishments and they, they remind me of my youth and recently I was reminded of a friend of mine who made a great impact I oftentimes ran with those who were four or five years older than me and, and there was an individual by the name of Gene Showers he's just a, kind of a big bully at the time because he's four or five years older than me and and he kind of resented the fact that uh, some of my um, siblings and their athletic and academic activity. And I remember one time when, when I probably was a fifth or sixth grader, and he came into the, the bathroom, and the bathroom was, you know, when Eagle Bend School was first to twelfth grade, and he was in twelfth grade, probably fifth or sixth grade, and he lifted me up by, the, by, by my head. And some of his um, peers came in, and they came to my rescue, and I always hoped that he would have tried that when I became a junior or senior, but by that time we become become friends. I noticed 50 years ago, he was parking near my parents' farm in rural Minnesota, and he had to when they crank down a little bit because of the exhaust, and he had a couple girls with him, and, and, and the two girls were covered in oxide rushed to the hospital and he was almost declared dead, but he, he came back and he bounced back to life. He lived up until like probably about uh, 10 or 15 years ago. And then his current wife asked me to do his funeral and, his, and a number of his peers, and it was Teresa Wells who he was with that particular night and died of carbon monoxide poisoning. And she was my age, 
listed deputy and sheriff of that particular area. And when I entered college, and oftentimes we go back teen areas, I remember coming into this large auditorium and the deputy came up to me and, and he was very bitter towards God and he came up to me and he says, Preacher, Preacher, what are you doing here? And I, I just kind of said, as a follower of Jesus, I go to where those who are in need. It's interesting, you know, how we reflect on the past as Jesus was re reflecting upon the economic ladders and comparing them with those who are, who are better off in material and, and Jesus saw a quality of life in the former that was not apparent in the latter. Jesus saw how excessive concentration on the accumulation of wealth can harden the human spirit. Human spirit. And Jesus saw how the feeling of self, the feeling of self and sufficiency that accompanies excessive devotion to material riches conceal off the human spirit from the higher, the higher values in life. Values that proceed from acknowledging a very dependence upon God and all things. And Jesus saw how excessive preoccupation with the accumulation of wealth can divide and, and separate people. As a result, I was probably on the lower economic ladder growing up, but you know, through sports and academics, I was able to get recognition and acceptance. And resulting in the situation that we have in today's world, where where the many, the many of people, the many of people, the large number of people have too little, and the few, the few have too much. Jesus never condemned riches, riches as such. However, Jesus' warnings to those who possessed them were very sharp, very sharp, and uncompromising. He said in Luke chapter 6, verses 24 and 25, he said, Alas, alas, for you who are rich, you who are having your consolation now, alas, for you have your fill now, and you shall go hungry. It was, it's been said that, that you may soon forget. You and I may soon forget those with whom we have laughed. The multitudes that you and I have laughed with. But you will never forget those with whom you have wept. And how true that is. Those who we've laughed with, we forget. And those who we've wept with, we, we remember. In ancient times, people kept what they considered tear cups. They were almost like pill cups, but they were called tear cups in ancient days. They were ceramic vessels into which they cried, and they saved their tears. The Hebrews, the ancient Hebrews, kept two kinds of these tear porcelain cups. One for sad tears, and one for happy tears. And the fullness of the cups was a reflection of the people who experienced the vitality. Their sense of aliveness in the tear cups of sadness and the tear cups of aliveness. The more tears in one's cup, 
the fuller one's cup. The more one was esteemed, high esteem for persons who cared and who were filled with passion and compassion, who were esteemed persons, were able to shed tears of joy and tears of sorrow. We may say, oh, you tears, I am thankful for what you run. Though you trickle in the darkness, you shall glitter in the sun. The rainbow could not shine if the rain refused to fall. And the eyes that cannot weep are the saddest, saddest eyes of all. In the third beatitude, Jesus speaks to poor and rich alike. In Luke chapter 6, verse 11, Jesus says, Happy are you who weep now because you shall laugh. Equity, that word equity has been abused and misused in our current age. But in Jesus' day, equity and justice demand that the, the poor shall not weep alone. Equity and justice demand a, a personal, very personal justification with God's poor for the rich. Equity and justice demand sincere lamenting, and a term that we very seldom use today, lamenting, by the few, but demand that the dynamics of poverty and destitution be experienced by the rich. Through close personal association with the poor, happy are you. Blessed are you who weep now, Jesus says. Happy are you who willingly share in this this misery of, of others. Happy are you who willingly shed tears for others. Share tears. Share tears with others. A famous theologian wrote a parable in which a, a young man had left his home in Kansas to become a sailor on one of those tall, high mast sailing ships. And after a few days at sea, the new sailor was ordered to man the watch in the, the crow's nest, the crow's nest, high up on the mast, which required a very risky, risky climb on the mast. But the higher he went, the more slower he went. And finally at the halfway, the halfway point, he stopped. He stopped. Too fearful too fearful of moving in either direction, up or down. And his story ends with him clutching, clutching desperately to the mast, unwilling to risk the sight as a move forward or backward, going nowhere. A University of Wisconsin psychologist has has spent many, many years studying risk-taking, risk-taking personalities and behavior. And during his research, this doctor identified a personality trait which he called the T-factor. You may want to investigate this T-factor. The T-factor people are those who are willing to take risks, willing to take risks either positively or negatively. That is, they're willing to risk in the service, the service of humanity, or willing to risk to the detriment, the detriment 
could say that Putin is taking a tremendous risk in going into this lovely country and destroying it. A negative, tremendous negative risk that he felt he could take over control in just a few days. There are many positive risks as Christians that we are called to take. If you take the New Testament writers seriously to the point where you begin to develop a right lifestyle of harmony, a harmony and agreement and congruency with Jesus' teachings, you realize that you are being urged to develop, to develop your T-factor, your T-factor. Taking up your cross daily and following Christ is, a, is risky business. Christ calls us to risky business this Lent season. When the world is looking forward to um, their celebration of the Fat Tuesday before Lent, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had more and more recognition? Recognition as uh, people who were so outrageously committed to the Lord Jesus Christ that we are at a point of no return that we are going somewhere. I remember the Jesus movement was a tremendous movement that won many college students and many elder adults to Christ. The Jesus movement. We need another Jesus movement. Another Jesus revolution. We need to become a people who are willing in the Apostle Paul's words to be fools to be fools for Christ's sake. The world will look upon us as foolish, but God looks us on con com commending our many virtues. We need to be looked upon as a people who are willing to really stop and, and, and to listen to another's pain. Father, this morning, as we pray for the needs of those in our congregation and those by way of television, we ask, O oh Lord, that you would remind us, because Jesus looked at those on the bottom rung of the economic ladder and compared them with those who were better off materially. And Jesus saw a quality of life in the former that is not apparent in the latter. Jesus saw how excessive concentration on accumulation of wealth can harden the human spirit. Jesus saw the feelings of self-sufficiency the arrogance in their company, successive devotion to material riches can seal us off from the human spirit, from the higher values in life. Values that proceed from acknowledging dependence upon God for all things. Jesus saw how excessive preoccupation with the accumulation of wealth and divide and separate people, resulting in the situation we have in today's world, where there are the many who have too little and a few have too much. Father, help us to search our hearts now. Help us to acknowledge our dependence upon things and help us to open our hearts. Help us to become more a part of the Beatitudes, a sense of being and attitude that determines our aptitude and our altitude in life. And help us to repeat this prayer. Dear Jesus, I thank you. You died for me. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. As we wait upon
invite you for this morning's offering. Would you join me in the offering partner listed in our bulletins this morning? Generous God, as we remember Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, we acknowledge the temptation that pursues so many of us to measure our worth, our power, and our security by what that we may have. As we offer these gifts to you this morning, we pray that you might deliver us from the temptation of building our lives around what belongs to us. Continually lead us to conviction that what matters is that we belong to God. We pray in the name of our Savior and Redeemer. Amen. Would you turn with me to our offertory hymn, The Last and Did My Savior? Believe purple number 359, verses 1, 359, 1, 2, and 4. Prayers for
our gifts from our well 